I will be reading from Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for everyone that asks and receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Thank you for that fine reading. We are still in the Sermon on the Mount. We are in chapter 7. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, asking and seeking and knocking and uh, what exactly God does in response to that. If you would, look with me at Matthew chapter 7. And the passage that was just read, which is verse 7, we're going to start right before that in verse 6. Kind of a, a, a... a unique passage. Um, you know, if you're reading like commentaries or different interpretations of the Sermon on the Mount, this is one where you'll find a whole lot of different ideas about what exactly Jesus is trying to communicate. Uh, it's right after his discussion about not judging and right before his discussion about, uh, you know, who the one who uh, seeks finds, the one who asks receives, the one who knocks, it'll be opened. Right in the middle of that, he says something about dogs and pigs and uh, pearls and holy things. And so I want to start off by talking about that passage for just a minute. This is Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6. I'm going to read it to you. He says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or else they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. And then he starts talking about, uh, you know, asking God of things. And so what is he talking about here? You know, there's, there's a lot of different uh, ideas, as I already mentioned, that people might have. I've seen you know, some people say that, uh, talking about pearls, for example, he's literally talking about money. And he's saying, don't spend your money on worthless things. Rather, use your money to support, like, the kingdom of heaven, you know, that Jesus has been preaching. Instead of, uh, you know, things that might be frivolous or things that might be uh, selfish, you know, that's, that's one interpretation uh, that, that I've seen. I know of some people who, uh, they read it basically as a way of saying, uh, what is most precious to you? Your, your allegiance or your devotion, your faith. Don't give that to worthless things. Rather, give that to God. Uh, you know, don't give your, your, your most precious possession, your uh, faithfulness to the things of this world like dogs and pigs. You know, that's, that's an interpretation I've seen. I've seen some take that more specifically. Uh, dogs and pigs are unclean uh, and, uh, and often are language associated with Gentiles. And so I know some people have said, uh, basically, this might be a way that Jesus is talking about, like, the Roman armies or, or the, the Roman kingdom. And he wants you to devote yourself to God's kingdom or the kingdom of heaven. And so don't give your allegiance to Roman rulers. Give your allegiance to uh, Christ as ruler. I've seen that uh, interpretation. I've seen some who say, basically, um, something along the lines of, if you're going out and evangelizing, like the disciples are going to have to do, uh, and you go to a city and it rejects the teaching of the gospel— well, just move on. Don't, don't keep trying to force the gospel into a city that doesn't want it or uh, is unworthy of it. You know, you wipe the dust off of your feet and you move on to the next city so that you don't keep over and over and over again trying to give holy things to, to dogs who don't want it. Um, I've seen some who would say something like this is a way of Jesus saying that his Gentile mission— is not quite ready yet. Uh, Right now, he's still working with the Jews, and so don't give the precious things to the dogs and the pigs, which represents Gentiles. Rather, keep giving it to the sons of Israel. And and so, anyway, that's just a short smattering of different interpretations of this passage that I've seen. Um, I think there's probably some truth you can find in just about every one of those, and I don't have uh, the complete, you know, absolute dogmatic answer. I would say that 
I think it probably does have something to do with, uh, he's just told you not to go around judging people. Uh, don't be a hypocritical judge. Don't be an overly harsh and critical judge. Uh, don't be someone who judges others more harshly than you want God to judge you. But along the same lines, you shouldn't go judging people, but maybe you should listen to them. And what that means is if you are trying to bring the truth of God, the pearls and the holy things of God to someone, and they are emphatically telling you they do not want them, then maybe listen to them. And don't try to just keep forcing it over and over again. Um, you know, I, one of the things about uh, pearls and pigs is that a pearl, to me, has great value and use. I mean, not really, but, but theoretically, I guess it has value. But, like, you know, a pearl is something that, uh, that, you know, it's supposed to be very valuable and precious, right? Is it valuable and precious to a pig? Does a pig, is it going to buy something? Is it going to eat it? It's like, is it going to help decorate the, the, you know, slop or whatever, you know, the pigsty? No, like, a pearl is of no value to a pig. So if you're going to give something to a pig... Give something that would be of value to the pig. You know, in, in a pearl, give it to someone who would find value in the pearl. And if we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, if there are people who don't want it, then you're offering them something that's of no value to them. Or the song we just say, sang, uh, it, it had the, you know, seek and you will find. Like, the kingdom of heaven is supposed to be something that you seek above all other things. There's quite a few parables and uh, teachings in the Bible about, uh, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like uh, buried treasure in a field or a merchant seeking fine pearls uh, is, is, is an exact example that Jesus uses later on. Uh, he says that you should seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. He says, seek and you will find. If someone doesn't want it, then what good is giving a pearl to a pig? It does no good. It's just, it's just not what a pig needs. It's looking for something else. It would rather have something else. And so, along the same lines, listen to people. Be, you know, certainly try to, try to teach people, but if someone's uninterested, then you're giving them something of no value to them. And so, maybe move on to, to someone who will find value in the pearl or in the holy thing. Uh, no, the two, there's two different examples here. One is the dog and the holy thing, and the other is the pig and the pearl. And again, you know, if I have, I think the Lord's Supper, which we just took, I would describe that as something holy, but... I don't think it's going to be super holy to give it to a dog. Like, the dog will see no value or use or, or benefit to it. And so, uh, it's not—it would be wasted there. So, if you have something holy and you have something precious, which I think Jesus offers, give it to someone who will find value in it. I think that's probably the, the main idea here. And so, you don't go judging, but you do listen, and you move on. And I think it fits well in this context because it does come right after that statement about judging— and right before, and I think this is a really important truth, right before what Jesus says about ask and it will be given to you. Notice the word give. Don't give what is holy to dogs, but if you ask, it will be given to you. I think one of the ideas is that God doesn't see us as dogs and pigs. When God hears what we need, he wants to give it to us. 
He wants to give us what will help us in our lives. He wants to give us the things that are holy and of great value. Like, that's what the kingdom of heaven is offering to us. And so when God sees us, you know, if I'm dogs and pigs, I don't even want them in my house. (laughs) I guess I do have a dog in my house. But I'm talking about in their ancient—I keep having to correct myself halfway through my next sentence. But anyway, like, in their ancient uh, world, dogs are not something that that were clean, nice, friendly pets. You know, dogs were something that were—they would bite you. They were vicious. You stayed away from them. They were unclean. They they were just—you don't want— anything to do with dogs, and you don't really want anything to do with pigs. Uh, Pigs were an unclean animal. You you weren't supposed to touch, own, or eat a pig. And so as they thought about those things, they wouldn't welcome those into their house. And yet God will open the door to us. Knock, and it will be open to you. Seek, and you will find. Ask, and he'll give it to us. I think there's a contrast taking place here, uh, showing that God genuinely does love the people he's created, and he wants them asking. He wants them seeking, and he wants them knocking. And he won't respond with something that's of no value to them. He'll give you what you need, because that's what a good father does. As a matter of fact, that's the illustration that Jesus uses. It's about giving the child not something that's useless to him, but something that's valuable to him. When you look at verse 9, Jesus says, What man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, gives him a stone? Uh, Jesus was just—that's an interesting illustration, considering what we talked about in Bible class this morning. Just a couple chapters earlier, Jesus has stones, and he needs loaves. Uh, and, uh, And he doesn't do the miracle of turning the stones into loaves during the wilderness temptations. But here, the point is, like, if you need bread— a stone, no matter what that stone is, no matter how nice it is, it's not going to satisfy what you need. You need bread. And, uh, and he says in verse uh, 10, if he asks for a fish, you're not going to give him a snake, will you? There's no value or benefit to that. In fact, that's actually going to produce harm. And even fathers who are flawed and imperfect, or even as Jesus says in verse 11, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And so the idea is, look, I am a flawed father, and I am a sinful person, and there's a lot of ways where I could improve. But if my kid needs something, I'm not going to give him something useless and worthless to him. You know, if, if my pig needs something, I'm not going to give him a pearl. And if my kid needs something, I'm not going to give him a snake or a stone. Uh, you give what is needed by the person who is, who's asking for it. I can recognize that, and I'm not even perfect. God is perfect. And so when you go to him in prayer, go to him trusting that there's a perfect God who hears you, who loves you, who is your father, and who will answer. Now, having said that, this passage is difficult. Um, it's not overly difficult to understand the words, like verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. All right, that sounds wonderful. But if I'm completely honest, I can think of quite a few times in my life where it sure felt like I was asking— I was seeking, and I was knocking, and I got nothing back. I bet you can think of things probably where you felt that same way. A loved one was going through a health difficulty. You were going through a health difficulty. And you begged and you prayed, and yet you didn't receive. At least it doesn't feel like you received. Uh, you, you saw there was a job you wanted. You were praying for that job, and you didn't get it. It went to someone else. It's like there, you were having financial difficulties, and you begged, and the problems weren't solved. 
And you think, well, what? Okay, everyone who asks receives. Well, what about me? What about the times that I have asked and I did not receive? Uh, what do you do with that? You know, I, I, one, of the, one of the difficulties with a passage like this is it can actually t- tend to be a faith killer in some people. People can think, you know what, I'm going to give up on prayer, or maybe God just doesn't like me, or maybe there's a problem with God, or maybe there's a problem with me, and I'm unworthy, and so God doesn't love me, and so I'm not going to pray anymore. And it ends up being something that, that it, on the surface, it's an encouraging word. God loves you. He's a good father. He'll give to those who ask. But on the other hand, it's like when you compare it to your experiences, it doesn't always, it doesn't always fit the way you want it to. And that can be the type of thing that makes you turn against God or feel so unworthy you no longer approach God or you tend to think that prayer is meaningless. And so, and so you don't get the answers you want. And I think that's one of the difficult things about prayer is, is it doesn't always give you clear answers. Like, like if you were to ask me, all right, what percentage of the time does prayer work? Like, I don't even have a clue how to go about answering that question. I guess, what do you mean by work? Like, get exactly what you asked for? I have no idea. Like, but, but can prayer work in other ways where the thing that you ask for isn't exactly what you receive, but what you receive might be even greater than the thing that you asked for? There are times that that happens. Uh, There are times I know people of like a, they had a girlfriend, they broke up, they were praying to get back together. It didn't work out. They really wanted to, but then they ended up finding, you know, someone else. I think there's actually even a country song uh, about, uh, you know, thank God for unanswered prayers. Uh, but I, like, th- that's a real situation that has happened in people's lives. They're like, oh goodness, I'm so thankful that I didn't get that prayer. And looking backwards, you can see how it all worked out. Sometimes you can do that. There are other times looking backwards, you still don't see how it worked out better. It's like, is there some mystery here that I'm not seeing? And I think that might be something to consider. Sometimes there are mysteries here that we're not seeing. Prayer is not something you can test in a laboratory. Prayer is, I wouldn't use prayer as an apologetic type of argument to convince someone else of the truth of Christianity. Because I think, you know, if you're talking about what you can prove, let's say that you pray over and over and over again for something and it does not happen, okay? Uh, You could use that as proof that prayer doesn't work. I think that would be a a bad route to go. But, I mean, in some people's minds, that's the way you could go. But on the other side of that, say you pray for something over and over and over again, and you do get it, you don't even know what would have happened had you not prayed. So it's not even, even then you can't prove that it was prayer. It's like you can't really prove much at all about prayer if proof is what you're after, if certainty is what you're after. But I'm not sure that proof and that certainty and that arguing is, is what prayer is actually all about anyway. Um, Jesus isn't naive. I'm not saying anything right now that Jesus isn't well aware of. Um, in fact, if you read through the Bible, which Jesus has, one of the biggest complaints and most common complaints against God is how often people have prayed to him in times of need and they didn't receive what they wanted. Um, There are times when, uh, like Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Uh, how long will I cry to you to save and you will not save? Far from my deliverance are the prayers of my groaning. Job, uh, the book of uh, Habakkuk, many of the Psalms, like they all go back to this idea that, that often happens where people pray to God about something that just feels and seems so right. And you know that God is omnipotent and all-powerful and he loves you. But it's like in the blink of an eye, he could, he could solve this problem for me. In the blink of an eye, he can give me what I want. And yet so often... That's not what happens. And you ask, why? Like, do you, am I just a pig and a dog to you <laughs> that you withhold your precious things from me? What, like, what is it? And again, if you're looking for certainty, I don't think I can give you that. Uh, it, when, you, when you offer up a prayer to God, you are trusting in the mysterious nature of God. Because God is not a genie who has to grant you three wishes. God is not your slave who is bound to do your will, whatever it is. God's not a complete random slot machine. You just pull it and cross your fingers and hope it again. It's like God actually is a, a living, powerful being with a mind and a will of his own. And he doesn't have to obey everything we ask for in prayers. But he is a loving father. And he does answer prayers. Um, you know, I have kids. Uh, sometimes me giving my kids a gift or what's best for them, sometimes that looks like uh, no cookies for breakfast and brushing your teeth instead. And to them, it doesn't sound a lot like a gift. Uh, it doesn't sound like a very good thing that, that the father has done. But I recognize if I do that every morning, that will be really bad for them, you know, throughout their lives. They will develop really unhealthy habits. Their teeth will not be very healthy. Uh, their bodies won't be. Like, there's nothing good that comes from that. However, I also recognize that as a father, sometimes the gift is cookies, you know? Sometimes it is staying up late and watching a movie past their bedtime when they should go to sleep. Sometimes you can give them things like that. And I would say that that seems to me to be a lot more like how my prayer life has gone. There are times, you know, I've, I've been focusing on the negative side. There are many times that I have prayed about something that was very important and absolutely got a resolution to it. And absolutely, I believe God answered my prayers. I was very thankful for it. I've seen, I mean, I, I, I remember a time, uh, this was not here, but someone had received a horrible diagnosis from a doctor. They had been uh, at, uh, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank. It's a big medical thing in Houston. Uh, anyway, uh, they had been, uh, MD Anderson, uh, they had gone to MD Anderson and uh, received a terrible diagnosis that they only had a couple weeks left to live. And they came to church that Sunday morning and they came up forward with their family and they asked for the prayers of the church and we prayed. There were tears. There were people like elders who put hands on them. And like, it, it was one of the most sincere Sunday morning prayers for someone that I had ever seen. And this is a true story. Like two days later, I got a message about him that the doctors had misread the charts and they didn't see what they were looking And turns out he had much, I think he's still, I mean, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but I'm pretty sure he's still alive today. This was years ago. Uh, it, was, it was one of those jaw-dropping things. You're like, okay, people misread charts sometimes, but that's crazy that that happened. Like, what do you do with that? 
I'll tell you what I do. I give thanks to God and say, thank you so much for answering prayers. And I'm like, could I prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that had we not prayed? That, I don't know. I can't prove anything about it, but I'm going to give thanks to God for it. That, that was incredible. That was an amazing moment where it sure looks to me like prayer had a profound impact on a situation. However, I also know of other people who uh, I've loved and cared about, and we've prayed for over and over and over, and they just continued to get sick, and then they died. And you think, okay, so what, what is it? Uh, you like, is, is, why does this person deserve to live and this person die? And again, I don't have the answer to that. Uh, I can't tell you wh- why sometimes prayer seems to have obvious answers, like Im- almost immediate, and sometimes it doesn't. I-, I can tell you that we we shouldn't expect, like, people are always going to die. We're not we're not in the resurrection yet. Uh, you know, it, we shouldn't expect every time we pray for someone they get an extra ten years of life because then everyone would always live forever. You know, that's that that would that's not how it's going to be, uh, and we shouldn't ex- you know if. Jesus is aware. I'm quite certain that if I were to say, pray today, you know what? I could go for a hundred Lamborghinis. I'm not going to pray, and then tomorrow them just all be up. Like that, obviously, that's, that's absurd, and that's not what he's trying to get us to think. I think what he's trying to get us to do is to consider that we have a loving Father. And in prayer, even though we don't have certainty, and that might be key, even though we don't have certainty, we go to him anyway. And we trust him and we love him because he's our father. And we see what he does. And we trust him either way because we can't control him. He does have a will of his own, but he actually allows us to speak into that will. And how exactly that changes the future, I don't know. How much of his future plans are, are set? How much uh, can my prayer alter? Or how much has he already factored in my prayer? If he knows the future, you know, I don't know all of that stuff. I, like, again, certainty. Whenever you try to nail down exactly what's happening, you can't. But what you can do is trust. Because, well, I know for my children, I'll use them as an example again, uh, if they are having a problem, or something is causing them fear, or something is causing them pain. I know of no other place I want them to go than me. Uh, I want to be the first place they go to, and we can work through this together, because that's what a loving, trusting relationship between a father and his children is. And, And I think that's what God is wanting to have happen with us. He wants us to go to him as a loving father with trust, not with certainty. We'll never have that, but with trust. And in faith, without doubting. And I don't think when we're told to go in faith without doubting, it's not doubting that I will get exactly what I ask for. I don't think that's the doubt. Uh, You might be able to doubt that. Because I might be asking for the wrong thing. I don't think doubting— I I don't think that it's a good quality to think no matter what I ask for, I'm always asking for 100% the best thing. You might not be. You don't have all knowledge. God does. But you don't go into prayer doubting God. You don't go into prayer doubting his love or his abilities. You trust God, you ask in faith, leaving open the the idea and leaving open the door that there might be other avenues through which God can answer this that I haven't thought of or I don't know about or that might not be the best for me or that might be the best for me. And Jesus is well acquainted with that because as you continue to read through Matthew, you do get that climactic moment in Gethsemane 
where Jesus three times in distress and in fear and in full trust goes to God in prayer. And he prays for any other way for this cup to pass from. His life is on the line and he's begging God if there's any other way for this to happen. And even Jesus, the Son of God, doesn't just get exactly what he says. He doesn't just get a new way. God doesn't say, okay, fine. <laughs> He's like, we'll, we'll come up with something else and scratch this plan. God sticks to his will. Um, and Jesus, in his prayer, asks for that. He actually says, but nevertheless, it's not my will but yours. And maybe that becomes central as well. Reshaping our will to conformity with his instead of always thinking that prayer is about reshaping God's will into conformity with ours. Maybe prayer isn't about me changing who God is so that he does exactly what I think is best, but maybe a lifetime of prayer is about a transformation of my own will into conformity with who he is. Because even after Jesus finishes those three prayers— His very next line, his very next words to his disciples are, behold, the time has come for the Son of Man to be betrayed. It's like he knew what was about to happen, but he prayed anyway. And and I think he prayed because he loved his Father and his Father loves him. And while Jesus is dying on the cross, he does hearken back to those words of the Psalms that we talked about. My my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, Yet as you continue to read through that Psalm, It even ends with a declaration of trust in the reign of God on earth. And that's what Jesus was bringing about. Uh, When Jesus gives his model prayer, and uh, we already talked about it a couple of weeks ago, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, That's an important part of that prayer. You shouldn't read this section of the Sermon on the Mount about prayer without that other section being in your mind also. Because I don't know how much I'm going to change God's will with my prayer, think he factors it in. Exactly how? I don't know. Uh, I don't know exactly what the outcome is going to be, or wh- if I'm seeking, I don't know exactly what I'll find. Will it be exactly what I asked for or not? I don't know. Uh, will the door be open to the room that I expect, or will it be open to another room? I don't know. Like, there, there are a million things you don't know. But what I want every one of us to know is that we do have a God who loves and who hears and who cares who is powerful, and he's a mighty friend. And he might answer your prayer in obvious ways immediately, and you praise and thank God for that. He might answer your prayers in ways that only years later, looking back, you realize, oh, that's what happened. And you praise God for that. Or you may never, ever get the answer that you looked for, and you may never understand exactly how this all worked out. And even in those situations, I would say you trust and praise God. Um, That's tough to do. It's a lifetime of transformation. But again, I think that's what prayer is. Kind of like, I don't think you're going to have one meal and it's going to make you healthy. (laughs) If you want to be healthy, you have to eat quite a few meals over a long period of time. I think sometimes prayer works like that, which is why Jesus tells us to never give up on it and to continue to stick with it. But one thing I do know is that he says, whoever asks receives who seeks, finds, and whoever knocks, the door will be open. And there's one thing I can guarantee you, God will give to you if you seek and ask and knock. And you have the opportunity to do it right now. And that is his gift of salvation. 
that is for every one of you. And if there's anyone here who's in need of the salvation of God, you can name Jesus as Lord of your life. You can have your sins washed away in baptism, becoming a new creature and a new creation in his kingdom. And if we can help you do that, please let that be known. You can talk to one of our elders in the back. If you're watching online, you can give us a call and we'll talk to you. Or you can come and sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.